The Good Friday Tenebrae Vespers Service this year is a combination between the Vespers Service and the Traore Service, where we go through the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. If you desire, you can get seven candles, and you can light them at the beginning of the service, extinguishing um, one of them after the singing of the hymn associated with each word of the cross. We begin with the opening versicles. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Praise to you, O Christ, Lamb of our salvation. Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. 
let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. The first word from Luke 23. And as they led him away, they seized one of Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast his lots, they cast lots to divide his garments. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. After being beaten and nailed to the cross, it would be difficult for anyone to speak. Each word from Jesus' lips is of importance, and how much more blessed and important are those words in which Jesus used his last breaths to utter for our ears. We will hear the last seven words of Jesus from the cross today. These are not merely seven individual words, but words in the Old Testament understanding of words. They are seven phrases, seven utterances. In the first word, our Savior does not say, I forgive them. Rather, he prays, Father, forgive them. Up to this point, Jesus has taught many by his words and his deeds that he is the Christ, that he has the authority to forgive sins. So why the change here? The agony he was enduring and the shameful treatment to which he was subjected was not just directed at him. It was just as much directed at the one who sent him. He knew the holy and righteous Father would not be indifferent to this act of blood guiltiness. 
The earth opened and consumed Korah and his followers and all their possessions when they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. How much more would his anger now burn against these who rebel against his only begotten son? For ages it had been passed down to repay evil with evil. Vengeance must be carried out. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Retaliation was common practice. Countless people on their deathbeds would make dying declarations or demand their children to swear that vengeance on their enemies would be taken. Here on the cross, the most horrible act of injustice was being meted out, and there is no cry of vengeance. Jesus knows vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In a sermon on the mount earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus taught, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here he is, living it perfectly. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The guards, the crowds, the council knew that they were killing a man, but they thought it was a just decree. They could see with their eyes, but they had no faith. They did not see what they were actually doing. Neither do we. In our blindness, how often do we live and speak to only serve ourselves? How often do we justify ourselves and convince ourselves that what we are doing is right and everyone else, even God and his church, are wrong? How often do we live only by what we see and not by what God says? How often in anger, jealousy, sloth, or ignorance have we done what we thought was right? For them, Jesus intercedes. For you, Jesus intercedes. This prayer bore immediate results, as we will hear with the next word. As one of the criminals saw this act, heard Jesus' words, and a reviling thief is converted. He repents, confesses, and receives the promise of a place in paradise. John stands at the cross, and we hear another word directed at him, but he hears this prayer of Jesus, and in his first epistle he writes, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' blood was the payment for your sin, and he is your advocate. The wrath of God's judgment against sin, your sin, and mine, was poured upon him, on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We sing LSB 447, Jesus in your dying woes, verses 1 through 3. Savior for our pardon, soon. 
sins your pangs renew, for we know not what we do. Hear us, holy Jesus. Oh, may we who mercy need be like you in heart and deed when with wrong our spirits bleed. Hear us, holy Jesus. And the first candle may be extinguished. The second word is from Luke chapter 23. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. This man is commonly known as the penitent thief, and his short prayer contains the elements of repentance, that is, sorrow over sin and faith. He looks back at his life and admits that he deserves the punishment. He even rebukes the other thief being crucified. Do you not fear God? We're under the same sentence. We deserve it. Our punishment is, ju is just. Jesus's is not. And then he looks to Jesus and he pleads, Lord, remember me. Look on me in mercy, whatever I have been and done. Forgive me. And what does our Lord do? He receives his petition. In the first two words from the cross, we behold Jesus as true God and true man. In the first word, he stands as a man and appeals to the Father. In the second word, he speaks as God and he grants this man's plea. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What a beam of light is shown from a dark and bloody death. Of all the things unknown in death and beyond, we know one thing for certain. Death is not extinction. It's not destruction, annihilation, or ceasing to exist. There is life after this life. While the body waits for the resurrection, the soul waits either in paradise or hell, either with Christ or apart from him. There is more than what we simply see in this world. There is a heaven and a hell. For those who believe in him, there is a place of no more suffering, pain, sickness, viruses, depression, anxiety, or isolation. There is an everlasting kingdom, and you are heirs of it. Let the worst of all sinners come to the foot of the cross. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. There are some who will use this text to say, well, this man waited until the last hour to confess and repent and he was saved. I should live my life the way that I want and then I will simply do the same at my last hour. What foolishness this is. Who knows when their last hour is to come? 
Some have time and death comes slowly, but some are sudden. The failure to repent and to live apart from God's mercy is to live without peace, without rest, without hope. It is to live in constant fear, always looking over your shoulder, just waiting for the right time. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Christ has died for you. Even in this time of pandemic and social distancing, isolation, anxiety, and fear, now is the day of salvation. Hope and comfort are yours. Jesus says to the thief, Today you will be with me. I have paid for your sins. You are forgiven. To you, Jesus says, Today you will be with me. I am with you. You have been baptized into my death, and you will receive also my resurrection. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Your baptism goes with you wherever you go. You are in my Father's hands, and no one can snatch you out of them. See how much I love you? See how much I desire your forgiveness? See how much I desire your peace? You who have faith, I am with you as you bear your crosses. You will be with me in paradise. And we sing verses 4 through 6. Jesus, pitying the sighs of the thief who near you dies, promising him paradise, hear us, holy Jesus. Mary, in our guilt and shame, Still your love and mercy claim, calling humbly on your name. Hear us, holy Jesus. May our hearts to you incline, and their thoughts your cross entwine. Cheer our souls with hope divine, near us, holy Jesus. The second candle may be extinguished. The third word comes from John chapter 19. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Slowly the hours are passing by. And many have gathered under the cross. Some are simply curious of the gruesome scene, much like passing a car accident. Others, like the Pharisees, are there out of hatred. As the hours pass, the crowd begins to disperse, and the departure of Christ's enemies marks the approach of his friends. John informs us of a little group standing at a distance, anxiously noting everything that was going on. Part of the group includes Mary. 
She does not appear in the scriptures much. She is, of course, there at the stories surrounding his birth, the presentation at the temple. She flees to Egypt and returns to Nazareth. When Jesus is twelve, she searches three days to finally find him at the temple. But then we don't hear of her again until the wedding at Cana. Simeon told Mary, Jesus would be a sign that would be opposed and a sword would pierce through her own soul also. Jesus had to pay for the sins of the world, including Mary's, and here it was being fulfilled. She watched her son in agony dying on the cross. He was dying the death of a criminal. It's hard to watch any child die. And there hung her son for the whole world to see. She was not able to reach out and bind up his wounds. She couldn't hold him or soothe him. The nails that pierced his hands pierced her soul. The crown of thorns was like torture to her heart. She pondered the words of the angel and treasured the words of the wise men and Simeon, and now she stands at the foot of the cross. In horrific wonder, her mind is spinning with the words of the angels and the word of her son. In the midst of this grief and appalling wonder, Jesus speaks to her. In two short sentences, he shows not only concern for the soul, but in this world, in this word, we see his concern for the body and for earthly life. He knows the difficulty that his death will bring to his mother. Jesus provides for her here in two ways. One, she will not only have an immediate support system to work through her grief, but two, she will also have one who will look out for her earthly physical needs. Likewise, the disciple will have one who will care for him both physically and emotionally. The first two words, the one true God is glorified. His name is honored and his word is exalted. Here, he drives home the significance of the fourth commandment. God's representatives on earth hold a special place and have a special vocation. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Little do children know just how much they owe to their parents. At risk to their own life, they bring forth children. And then there are anxious days, the sleepless nights, the self-denials, the self-sacrificing of love which neither time or change or ingratitude is able to wear out. Of all the friendships that can be formed, nothing can replace the bond given between parents and children. The fallen world and sinful man does much to destroy this bond, and some forsake their children to pursue their own selfish desires. But the office of parent is a blessed, God-given vocation to serve the well-being of another. Parents are stewards of another life. They have been given a gift from God and are tasked with the office to oversee, teach, train, and care for the body and soul of another life to the glory of God. Children sin against their parents, and parents sin against their children. Forgiveness is one only in Christ. As the family lives in the word of God under the cross, they lovingly hear and are reminded, Behold your son, behold your mother. This is your family. As family comes from the same bloodline, so you are from my bloodline. You are washed in my blood at the font, you drink it together through the fruit of the vine on the altar, as I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
We sing verses 7 through 9. Jesus, loving to the end, her whose heart your sorrows rend, and your dearest human friend, hear us, holy Jesus. May we in your sorrow share, for your sake all peril dare, and enjoy your tender care. Hear us, holy Jesus. May we all your loved ones be, all one holy family, loving since your love we see. Hear us, holy Jesus. The third candle may be extinguished. A fourth word is from Mark chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. For three hours, Jesus has been suspended upon the cross. At midday, when the sun stands at its highest point, without warning, a veil of thick darkness and intense gloom covers Jerusalem and the hill of Golgotha. This is not an eclipse, and it was not a local event. Records have been found in China and Egypt which speak of this darkness. It caused the astronomer Dionysius to write, Either the gods are suffering or the mechanism of the world is tumbling into ruin. An eclipse is gone almost as quick as it starts, but this darkness lasted for three long hours. It's hard, of course, to not recall the plague of darkness in Egypt where no one could see each other and no one rose from their place. It was a terrifying darkness that freezes one in fear. Out of that darkness, a voice is heard from the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? These words are the most appalling that have ever pierced the atmosphere of this earth. There are no other words that are more difficult to contemplate, and no mortal mind can fully grasp the depth that these words convey. Many of the early church fathers passed them over and did not pry into their sacred depths. Even Luther was deeply affected by these words. When he worked through his passion meditations, the fourth one caused him to cry, to abstain from food, and to lose sleep. When he finally emerged from his reflections, he exclaimed, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? Yet it is uttered for our instruction, our admonition, and our comfort. In all of God's creation, Jesus is the only human on earth to know what it is to be forsaken by God. As God withheld the light from the sun of the sky, so he withdrew from that man nailed to the cross the spiritual light of his divine presence. Jesus knew, and he felt the horrors and anguish of being forsaken by God. And he does not just proclaim that he is forsaken, he asks why. 
And he doesn't just whisper it. He cries it out with a loud voice. Why? For you. So that you would hear it. So that you would know without a doubt that Jesus was forsaken on the cross. So that you never would be. Man was cast out of paradise, out of the garden, and there is only one way back in. Only the fulfilling of the promised seed would be able to open the gates, pass the cherubim to the very tree of life. Jesus is the promised seed. And we celebrated his ascension, a man who walks up through endless ranks of angels to be coronated as king. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. Where Adam was overcome by Satan at the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, overcomes Satan at the tree of the cross to bring good on Good Friday out of the evil of death. Jesus is your substitute. Since he was forsaken, you will not be. Since he suffered the horrors of desertion, you never will suffer it. These words are of greatest comfort because which one of us has not known trouble and affliction? Which one of us has not known disappointment and wrongs and grief? Which one of us has not known deep sorrow and shame? As bad as all of those things are, God did not forsake you, does not forsake you. God is still with you just as he has promised. Jesus was forsaken, and at the end of that psalm, Psalm 22 confesses, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. The poor, afflicted, miserable sinners eat the very body shed on the cross where satisfaction was made for their sin. Psalm 22 then proclaims, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. He has done it. He has been forsaken. He has plumbed the darkness. He has drank the cup of God's wrath all the way to the dregs. He has known the darkness. And all for you. We sing verses 10 through 12. Jesus, whelmed in fears unknown, with our evil left alone, while no light from heaven is shown, hear us, holy Jesus. When we seem in vain to pray, and our hope seems far away, darkness be our stay. Hear us, holy Jesus. Though no father seem to hear, though no light our spirits cheer, may we know that God is near. Hear us, holy Jesus. The fourth candle may be extinguished. The fifth word comes from John chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, 
So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Now this one couples with the fourth word, and it moves us again to see the reality between the body and the soul. The soul knew the darkness and being forsaken by God. Here Jesus shows us the physical depths of humanity that he suffered. Pathologists say there is no bodily suffering so distressing as thirst. When one is dying today, even on hospice care, one of the main acts of comfort is keeping their lips and mouth moist. Even though the dying is not getting fluid intake to use for the good of the body, there is great comfort in even having the mouth not dry. The rich man in Lazarus touches on this very fact. When the rich man in hell sees Lazarus in heaven, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to him with just enough water to dip his tongue. He doesn't ask for a drink of water. He simply wants a bit of relief. The last drink Jesus had was the night before where he ate the last supper with his disciples. It doesn't take much imagination to see Jesus with muscles strained, joints cramping, sun bearing down on his naked and exposed body, with his wounds open and begging for relief. This word teaches the very humanity of Christ. He knows what physical suffering is. We have a real man. He wasn't a ghost or a phantom. He wasn't a godlike entity who possessed the likeness of a man. He was a true flesh and blood man. It was real blood that was shed to pay for your sin. To be your substitute, he had to be you. He must be from the dust. And we hear the dusty cry reaching out to be quenched and life restored. I thirst. What an important word to cause us to also consider the blessings of our daily bread. This day is given by God. This daily bread is given only by God's gracious hand. The bread we eat was purchased by the hunger he endured. The drink that quenches our dry tongues was purchased by the thirst he suffered. The homes in which we live, the furnishings of comfort we enjoy, were laid upon the very foundation of rock that cannot be moved. It was not upon sinking sand, but lifted up and bore the wind and waves of hatred and scorn to give peace. Like many of Jesus' words, there is more than simply meets the eye, and on top of the physical thirst he fills the psalm, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's no coincidence this word, I thirst, is recorded in the book of John, because earlier in the Gospel of John, in the fourth chapter, sitting by Jacob's well, Jesus also asks for a drink. He uses that occasion to teach and to prepare us for this moment on the cross. I thirst. What a great confession for those who follow him. By faith we hear him speak in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Christ, the righteous one, shed his blood for you. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness find it in only one place, Jesus. Jesus gives it through his word and his sacraments. And through those things and those things alone can the body and the soul both find peace eternally. We sing verses 13 through 15.
Jesus, in your thirst and pain, while your wounds your lifeblood drain, thirsting more our love to gain, hear us, holy Jesus. Thirst for us in mercy still, all your holy word fulfill, satisfy your loving will, hear us, holy Jesus. May we thirst your love to know, lead us in our sin and woe, where the healing waters flow, hear us, holy Jesus. The fifth candle may be extinguished. The sixth word is found in John chapter 19. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Many of you have heard me speak on this word before. It is one word in Greek and is understood as completed, finished. But what is finished? As humanity and Adam and the fall and the garden all come into mind with the previous word, one could say that this speaks of his physical suffering. Taking into account the last several hours of trial, beatings, thorns, adorning his temples, carrying the weight of his cross through the city and the horrors and tortures of crucifixion, it would make sense to think of the physical suffering coming to an end. However, the cessation of the physical agony is just not sufficient to justify this outcry. The cross was more than physical, it was spiritual. To understand this word properly, we must know the Old Testament. In the very first pages of God's word, we learn of how sin entered the world, and we hear of God's first gospel promise, the first promise of a Savior, a Redeemer, one whom would crush the serpent's head. Then after a few more pages, we read of the flood. At the end of the flood, God makes another promise, that he will not send another flood to destroy the world because of sin. Now, we can't go through all the promises now, but there are others that find their fulfillment in this cross of Christ. It was foretold by the prophets. Zacharias said, They weighed out my price, thirty pieces of silver. Isaiah preached, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It was taught that through the praying of the Psalms, Psalm 22, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 34, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. It was foreshadowed in the work of the tabernacle and the temple, the day of atonement, the lifting up of the brass serpent in the wilderness, the sacrifices, the Passover, many other places. The work of man's redemption, the fulfilling of the promised seed, is now finished at the death of God's Son. Now in excellent timing... Christ was hanged 
upon the cross at the third hour of the day. According to God's timing of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, the third hour was the time a lamb was to be placed upon the altar in the temple, and the people were notified of this action by the sound of a trumpet. Thus all the people would pray while the sacrifice was taking place. Our Lord was placed upon the altar of the cross at the same hour, and he prayed for his Father to forgive. Now get this, at the ninth hour, the evening sacrifice had to be offered, and that was the same hour that the Savior died upon the cross. He began with the morning sacrifice, he ended with the evening sacrifice. He taught by his time on the cross that he is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. It is finished. Sacrifices are done. The all-atoning sacrifice has been made. Death no longer has everlasting sting. Yes, it hurts. Yes, loss is painful. But it does not have the final say. The grave has no victory. Satan's terror and the world's despair is silenced. The old evil foe may mean deadly woe, but he can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. It is finished. These words are divine declaration that the serpent has been crushed. And inasmuch as these words are spoken for us, they are directed at Satan. Sin, death, and Satan are powerless and harmless for foes. Their might is weak and worthless in the sight of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We sing verses 16 through 18. Jesus, all our ransom paid, all your fathers will obeyed by your sufferings perfect made. Hear us, holy Jesus. Save us in our soul's distress. Be our help to cheer and bless. While we grow in holiness, hear us, holy Jesus. Brighten all our heavenward way, with an ever-holier ray, till we pass to perfect day. Hear us, holy Jesus. The sixth candle may be extinguished. The seventh word comes from Luke chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. 
After all the work was declared to be done, what more is to be said? Jesus moves his lips one last time, and what does he say? Does he give a mournful and emotional farewell? Does he give a nostalgic and wistful commentary that would make for a good ending to a Hallmark movie? No. When he bows his head in death, it was not the natural and enforced result of his crucifixion. The thieves had not yet died, and that anyone who was crucified would die in the manner that Jesus did was extraordinary. We know this because even Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead. Now, Jesus' last word is not whispered in breathy, incoherent spasms of air sneaking past the vocal cords, subtly being moved by the tongue and the lips. It's cried out with a loud voice. It was spoken by one who did not die from weakness and exhaustion. By this very word, we learn that Jesus was not compelled to die. He willingly and of his own accord submitted to death. Remember, Jesus had said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The Savior ends his words where he began. In the Gospel of Luke, his first words are to his earthly parents, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? about my father's business. And now his last words are again directed to the father. Even during the short time upon the cross, his first word and his last word are both directed to the father. With death in front of him, there is only one place, one God to whom he looks. How many times before has Jesus prayed, and now he lives these words of Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Again, what a flood of light this shines for us upon the very mystery of death. The only thing we know about death is what God has revealed. Without his word, the realm of death would be an unknown land, and all we would have is imagination and wild speculation. In this last moment before death, Jesus speaks, and in this word, for a moment, he lifts the veil separating this life from the one to come. And he shines a bright ray of heavenly knowledge to enlighten our minds and to cheer our hearts. Death is no longer to be feared. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have from the infallible lips of Jesus, the soul is immortal. It is not annihilated at death. Death does not mean the end of existence. Rather, death is changed. Death does not mean a leaping into the dark unknown, going to places where no man has gone before. Death is a laying down to sleep. In a very Old Testament Hebrew way of speaking, death is a returning to your Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that He is our true Father and that we are His true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask Him as dear children ask their dear Father. These words from the small catechism are lovingly displayed by Jesus at the moment of death. 
with all boldness and confidence. He gave up his spirit and breathed his last. He knew what his death meant. He knew what his life meant. He knew his work, and he completed it for you on the cross. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same Heavenly Father to whom each night and every morning we commend our body and soul and all things. Born through the waters of holy baptism, you are brought into the family of God. You are made heirs of God's eternal kingdom. As an heir only gets the inheritance after death, so after the death of Jesus, you now, right now, have peace with God and with each other. You are given life in the midst of death. You are given life eternal. And he has promised you at your baptism to keep your going out and your coming in forever. With boldness and confidence, you are able to live each day rejoicing in the works of the Lord, even in the midst of suffering, sadness, misery, anxiety, viruses, pain, and even death itself. This is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day that Christ has died. Today is truly a good day. With all boldness and confidence, you can approach social isolation, viruses, sicknesses, temptation, and death itself because your dear Father has given his Son. When God determines that your time on earth is done, you already know the end. Have peace. Be strengthened to meet the days ahead. You daily bear your crosses, but Christ has borne your eternal cross for you. With all boldness and confidence in faith, we lovingly commend ourselves into God's hand and trust because we know when our last hour comes, he will give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Now no longer does man have to look for God. Look, here is Christ on the cross for you. Behold the work of his life-giving death through his words read and proclaimed. His spirit, God's spirit, is given to you at your baptism. Behold the altar of the Lord and eat his body, drink his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Into your hands, O Heavenly Father, I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we sing verses 19 through 21. Jesus, all your labor vast, all your woe and conflict past, yielding up your soul at last, hear us, holy Jesus. When the death shades round us, Lord, Guard us from the tempter's power, keep us in that trial hour, hear us, holy Jesus. May your life and death supply 
Grace to live and grace to die, grace to reach the home on high. Hear us, holy Jesus. The final candle may be extinguished, and we continue with the responsory. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is put away. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We sing him, LSB 454, Sing My Tongue, The Glorious Battle. Sing my tongue the glorious battle, sing the ending of the fray. Now above the cross the trophy, sound the loud triumphant lay. Tell how Christ the world's Redeemer as a victim won the day. Tell how when at length the fullness of the appointed time was come, he the word was born of woman, left for us his father's home. Blaze the path of true obedience, shown as light amidst the gloom. Thus with thirty years accomplished, he went forth from Nazareth, destined, dedicated, willing, did his work and met his death. Like a lamb he humbly yielded on the cross his dying breath. Faithful cross, true sign of triumph, before all the noblest tree, None in foliage, none in blossom, none in fruit thine equal be. Symbol of the world's redemption for the weight that hung on thee. 
unto God be praise and glory to the Father and the Son, to the eternal Spirit, honor now and evermore be done. Praise and glory in the highest, while the timeless ages run. And we continue with the Kyrie. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, graciously behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, you willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> 